So uh, the title for the sermon today is Defeating Demons, uh, and it might uh, take a little while for that to seem like it makes sense, uh, but I assure you the demons are coming uh, later on here in the sermon. Uh, so what I'd like to do is just actually share a little bit about camp and some of the things that I took away from it. And, you know, it's true that camp is designed uh, for the youth. It's designed so that they can learn about God and be inspired. But that doesn't mean that the counselors and the directors shouldn't also walk away from camp spiritually challenged, eager to grow themselves, you know. Uh, so I'd like to share with you what I personally took away from camp. Uh, this summer, the theme of camp was Believe. Uh, and the goal of the camp directors and the counselors was to inspire the campers to help them build faith in the one true God. Uh, now that might sound a little bit generic, uh, but when you break down Christianity to its most elemental, foundational parts, right? There isn't really anything more important than having faith, you know, really truly believing. Uh, so what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to quickly kind of adapt a lesson that was done at camp by Kurt Ammons on the, the opening evening of camp. Uh, actually, Dylan walked us through part of what those uh, points were, but what Kurt did was he, he defined really what does it mean to actually have belief. Uh, and so I'd like to do that uh, in, with a familiar verse. Let's go over to Hebrews 11, verse 1. This is certainly something that we're all familiar with here. We could all probably recite it even without going there. Uh, you can join in with me if you like, but... Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and break this down a little bit. You know, what is it really to have confidence in what we hope for? Where does this confidence come from? When you have confidence in something, you have a conviction about that. And the reason that you have conviction is because this conviction is founded in knowledge. People don't form convictions just on a whim. You know, like, well, I, I think I'll die for this today, you know. I, I, with no reasons, let me just decide to live my life completely for this topic. That doesn't make any sense, no. So really the first part of belief is to be able to have some knowledge attached to that. And we're going to go through four different parts of what it really means to actually have belief and have faith. So what does this mean? Faith isn't, you know, I believe because I should, or I believe because I like the way it makes me feel. No, we have faith because there's so many convincing proofs that Jesus is who he said he is. He, he is. It doesn't make sense that dozens of obscure prophecies made about a single man all just happen to get fulfilled. You know, it doesn't make sense that the Bible just happens to be incredibly historically and archaeologically accurate. There's only one explanation about what happened to Jesus' body after he died, and I'll give you a hint. It's not this swoon theory where he didn't really die. He just you know, passed out on the cross and then was found later on. No, no, none of this stuff makes sense. Yeah, and as Romans 1, 20 says, you know, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. When we look around us, we can gather a lot of knowledge about God. We can really uh, just see it from what's around us. Uh, too often, I think, people uh, will, will look at faith and uh, they'll kind of see it as a last resort. 
Uh, they feel like they've got no other option, right? Well, you know, this stuff sure is confusing. I can't explain it, so I guess I'll just leave it up to faith. But that's not really any kind of faith at all. No, faith, is, uh, faith begins when we're confident in what we hope for, and that begins with knowledge. No, it, it really takes a lot of knowledge to build your faith. You know, certainly uh, you can't rely on that knowledge all alone, but it certainly is part of it. It's the beginning of it. Without it, you can't have it. Now, after you have this knowledge, though, you have to make a decision. You've learned what you needed to learn, and now it's time to either agree with this knowledge that you've gathered or disagree with what you've learned. Right? That seems pretty basic, right? Uh, I'm either going to agree with what I've studied out or I'm going to disagree, right? And this is oftentimes the part that, that can take a long time for people, uh, especially the folks that feel like they've got to be sure that they agree with every single element of every single issue before they say, yeah, okay, I, I, I surrender, I'll, I'll agree with this, right? You know, and I understand that, uh, but at the same time, whether you agree or not, or how you feel about it, doesn't really have any bearing on what is true and not. You know, and so coming to an agreement that this knowledge is worth believing in, how you feel about it isn't really there. The evidence is still there. Okay, so after you agree, what happens next in belief? You have to come to a point of trust in what you've agreed to do, right? Because you can agree with something, but still not trust it. Okay, let's use an example here. Uh, Hypothetically, okay, hypothetically, let's say... uh, that we are all able to agree that the motor company Tesla is making high-quality, impressive electric vehicles. And we all trust that this autopilot capability that they're developing is something worth trying out. We can agree that the design is slick, maybe that they're way too expensive, but that this self-driving car is the way of the future. We could even know and have the knowledge that it's passed safety tests, uh, that it's been highly rated in both highway and city driving. But it's entirely different to say, I trust you, Tesla, (laughs) and then to let go and let that thing drive you around. Look, I I don't know about you, but I'm not getting in that thing. No way. I'm not going to have a robot driving me around. (laughs) You know, before we know it, we've got like a transformer situation, and I'm not ready for that. You know, you know it's, one, it's one thing to know about Jesus and to agree that he's the Son of God, to agree that he's died for your sins, and it's another to trust him to drive your life, right? And to say, I actually trust in you to allow you to bring me through this life. Now, if you have these other three parts down, right, you, you have the knowledge, you agree, you even trust with it, the last part really ought to be pretty simple, right? And that last part is the commitment. You know, if you're sitting in this room and you have knowledge about who Jesus is, you agree that he's the son of God, you agree that he died for your sins, you trust that if you live your life for him, he's going to take care of you, and you haven't committed yourself to him, what are you waiting for? You know, there's nothing left to figure out. Commit your life to Jesus. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Get the Holy Spirit, which will allow you to have more faith. When we get to that last bit, you know, the commitment should be easy. 
However, it's not easy all the time, which is why we have uh, the rest of the sermon, right? Uh, that, that's why we have the... That leads us uh, to where I promised demons might show up. So, uh, you know, it's not always easy to have this faith. It's not always easy to agree, to trust, to commit. You know, none of these things are actually ever easy. <laughs> it's not ever easy to give yourself fully to that. Why is that, though? Why is that? It's because there is a battle that's going on for our souls on a daily basis. There's demons out there, and there's demons in here that we have to fight with, and they all want to derail your faith. We can't let them do that, though. We've got to defeat these demons. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. A familiar verse probably for a lot of us, but let's go ahead and read that in Ephesians 6, verse 11. It says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I always loved this scripture growing up because I, you know, I like to imagine myself with all this cool armor and stuff. And, you know, the boys like that as they're growing up. Every stick becomes a sword, you know, like uh, that's just the way it goes. But, you know, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that we should put on this full armor of God in order to stand against the devil's schemes. We live in a very dark world, you know, and, and we don't really like to talk about it very often But there are spiritual forces of evil that are doing their very best to pull you away from faith. What are some of the ways that Satan likes to scheme against us? He, He goes through and he attacks every single element of faith that we've discussed so far this morning. He makes you question the knowledge that you think that you might have about Jesus and the Word. Is that knowledge really true? Can you really trust in that? He benefits from this confusion and he makes it difficult for you to agree with the knowledge that you have. He gives you every reason why you should trust yourself over trusting God and his ways. And then he convinces us that if we do commit, if we go that far, that we'll be let down and God won't keep his promises. So at camp, uh, Michelle and I were given this opportunity to be theatrical directors, right? Uh, we did this for Quest, uh, that's the oldest group, you know, the high schoolers. And we're put in charge of uh, putting together skits every night that would be done uh, at the campers' starlight devotionals. All week, uh, the, the campers had quiet times that were based on C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Uh, anybody read The Screwtape Letters? Are you familiar with it? Uh, if you're unfamiliar, uh, here's the basic premise. There's a guy, screw tape. he's a demon, right? He's an older demon, and he's writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, okay? And now, Wormwood is kind of learning how to be a tempter, and in these letters, Screwtape instructs Wormwood on these different strategies that he can use to ensure that his patient will go to hell, right? It's kind of nasty, right? But it's this one-sided conversation that we get where Screwtape writes these letters, and Wormwood is just kind of soaking in this knowledge from this older, wiser demon, right? And uh, though, the, the, though this is like a, a fictional book, right? Uh, obviously, this is not, uh, you know, scripture or anything. It, it addresses some really real elements of the spiritual battle that goes on in our lives all the time, right? Here's where Michelle and I came in. Maybe you saw it in the bulletin. Uh, we were those demons, right? And every night uh, around the campfire, we did our best to bring this spiritual battle to life. 
uh, I would adapt the material that was covered in their quiet time that morning, and then we would make it into a skit and do that skit uh, that evening. So I played the role of Wormwood, right? And, uh, and Michelle was another character. She was my demon uh, counterpart uh, that also had her patient that she was tempting, and so she was Slum Trumpet. You know, that, that, that's a demon name if I ever heard one, right? So on this first night, you know, we really wanted to uh, we really wanted to make this thing stick for all the campers, and so what we did is I, I had Bob Dignan and uh, Devin Cochran uh, go out to where we were going to do these fire, uh, where we were going to do these uh, devotionals, and we dug a hole. You know, we dug a hole about uh, four or five feet deep. And then I got in that hole, and we put plywood and sod on top of it, and I waited. <laughs> and I stayed in that hole, and they all came out to the campfire, and, you know, they started singing their songs. And, and, and so I'm down there, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes passes, and, and I'm just crouching in my hole waiting, right? And so, uh, you know, the director of the camp comes out, and he explains to people, you know what the uh, you know what 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 the week was going to be about, and that they were going to be reading these uh, excerpts from the screw tape letters, and uh, <laughs> it was great, you know. It, 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 it's like and and we have the opportunity to have these skits every night, and then he, he enjoy the skit, and he walks off, and all the kids are like, "What skit? There's no one anywhere." <laughs> and so Michelle's character comes out, and she's looking for me, and then I I light the smoke balls, and I cue the sound effect. And I have the light shooting up out of the hole, and I burst out of the ground. And I swear, some people made Jesus Lord probably right then. Um, but so you know, we 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 had a lot of fun with it. You know, we had a lot of fun with it. We even had you know because Michelle and I, uh, we we were just you know lowly demons. We needed to have uh, an actual visit from Screw Tape himself. And so on Wednesday night, after a couple of these skits had progressed. Uh, you know, my, my patient had started to consider becoming a Christian, and Screwtape wasn't going to let this happen. And so none other than uh, Tracy Lahr comes in as Screwtape, and he visited camp on Wednesday. It's so cool. He, uh, you know, we're, we're there, uh, you know, the, the campfire, and I'm standing there, and then you hear Tracy's motorcycle rev up. And Tracy enters uh, and circles around and, and parks his bike, and he's looking for me, Wormwood, because he's going to let me know that I cannot let my patient become a Christian. And uh, that was, you know, I think hopefully really impactful for the kids. And, uh, you know, we, we did this and it was a lot of fun. But really, honestly, these things were kind of scary. And the reason that they were so scary, not just because, you know, Tracy makes a very convincing demon or anything, but <laughs> because the subject matter was so real. You know, it was so real. Satan is desperately trying to keep us from having a relationship with God, and he's going to do anything to prevent us from that relationship. He's going to prevent us from believing. He's going to use any means necessary. He gets creative. So what I want to do, I want to read just a quick excerpt from the screw tape letters. Uh, this is just one part of one letter, and so you can kind of start to get the idea of what some of these skits were maybe like. Uh, but this is a letter, remember, from screw tape to his nephew Wormwood. And he says, I see only one thing we can do at the moment. This is about the time where uh, the patient's deciding uh, to become a Christian. He says, your patient has become humble, which can be an obstacle, unless, of course, you draw his attention to the fact that he is acting humbly. 
All virtues are less of a challenge for us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he's really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, wow, I sure am being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at his own humility will appear. If he catches on to what you're doing and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt to fight back, and so on through as many stages as you please. But don't try this too long, for fear you'll awake his sense of humor, in which case he'll merely laugh at you and go to bed. Isn't that, isn't that funny? You know, screw tape strategy is to say, take something that's so good, like humility, and then make us prideful because of how humble we are. You know, when we spell it out like that, it sounds ridiculous, right? There's no way that we would do that. There's no way that I could ever think like that. Except we do, or, or at least I do. I can speak for myself. You know, I, I know that I'm guilty of comparing myself to other people based on my works or feeling like I deserve more than other people because of how hard I've worked or how spiritual I've been. And then Satan gets a foothold because I've lost sight of what it really means to have faith. It's not about me. Yeah, I appreciate what uh, Larry has been talking about in these classes about Leviticus. Uh, even this morning, you know, he, he was... Why do, we, why do we do what we do as Christians? It, it's out of purely gratitude for our salvation, nothing else. Not because we feel guilty or we feel obligated. It's, it's the only thing. It's this gratitude. And when we start to think you know, that it, it's all because of us or something like that, then, then Satan really does get a foothold and these demons can lead us further and further away from a relationship with him. Tracy's been uh, leading us through the book of 2 Timothy, so I wanted to tie that in a little bit. I think we can make that work. So go ahead and uh, turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. I think it's appropriate for us to go there. I don't want to steal too much, uh, potentially, from future sermons. uh, But as you read through 2 Timothy, a couple things start to become clear. And one of those things is that Paul is not a fan of false teachers. Can you blame him? Right? Uh, He's going from place to place. He's preaching the gospel. And essentially, he has these false teachers that are following behind him and presenting new messages that are confusing people. How frustrating would that be? You know, you're trying to just present the gospel clearly, and then you've got this, uh, these goofballs coming around behind you and messing up the teaching. You know, if I was in Paul's position, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I would want you know, to be getting ready for a fight for some of these guys, you know? Titus, did you hear what happened in Ephesus? Yeah, Caesarea can wait, Silas. We're turning this boat around. Full steam ahead. Yeah, that's not what Paul does. No, he has far better advice for Timothy. So let's read that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 25. It says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If you're looking for more verses that talk about the reality of the spiritual battle, this is one of them. You see, when we don't have a knowledge of the truth, which leads to us having this faith that we're talking about, what this verse is saying is that it is impossible for us to act sensibly. When we don't have a knowledge of the truth, we're enslaved to the will of the devil. And that's kind of scary. You know, 
when we don't have a knowledge of the truth, there's no limit to the evil that we become capable of doing. Which is why the beginning of chapter 3, which we can read here in a second, Paul goes on to describe what our lives will look like if we live as captives of the devil's will. This stuff gets kind of scary, but hold on here. Talking about demons. 2 Timothy chapter 3, reading verse 1. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Mercy is right. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but that actually sounds sort of familiar. It sort of sounds like the world that we live in. Now, I can't tell you how sick I am of turning on the evening news and hearing about another mass shooting where innocent people are suffering at the hands of evil people. I'm so discouraged by these stories of abuse and brutality, and it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. But, you know, I'm also not surprised because we live in a dark world, and when people live without faith, which is a knowledge of the truth, agreeing that that truth is the way to live, trusting in that truth, and committing to live their life out in that way. You know, this horrible list that we just went through, that's exactly what life will look like. But thanks be to God that this world is not our home, right? You know, these verses really begin to specifically address uh, some false teachers. Uh, you know, certainly uh, when people are not living with a correct knowledge of the truth, this list that we went through, that is something uh, that will, uh, our lives will look like that, you know, and the world will look like that. Uh, but it's, it's even another thing to distort the truth, right? It's one thing to not know the truth. It's another thing to distort it entirely. And so now Paul goes on and he addresses the people that do this, that distort the truth, change the meaning of the gospel, right? So let's keep on reading here in verse 5. It says, Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. See what's happening here? It says that you know when we're not living with this knowledge of the truth, when we're living loaded down with sins, swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's, that's what happens when we don't really, really dive into our belief and trust and commit to this belief that Christ uh, is the only life that we can live. Uh, I know I'm probably going long here. We're going to close here in a second. Let's uh, read in verse 8. Um, it says, just as Janus and uh, Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So who are these guys? Have you ever thought that in verse 8? Like, who are these guys? Uh, it's, we don't really know who they are exactly. This is the only part in the Bible that refers to them. 
Uh, but oral tradition uh, for the Jews suggests that these are the two guys that were around in the time of Moses, right? That uh, they withstood Moses and Aaron. They're, they're these, the, you know, the magicians where uh, the staff gets thrown down, turns into a snake, and then Pharaoh's magicians are able to replicate some of the things that have been done. You know, the, these magic, this, this signs, right? Uh, you know, Pharaoh summons his guys. These are supposed to be those guys, right? Um, we don't really have a lot of time to go through all of that. But his intention to use this example of their wickedness, it's, it's really to represent this active rejection of truth in the last days, right? It's representing this side, this type of person who is taking the truth, uh, changing it to their own, uh, to their own desires, and uh, really not trying to resist the devil at all. Um, I, I, I'm trying to skip over something, but then it doesn't flow, so amen. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to the book of James. So we're going to close out reading two different verses in James. Why bring these guys up? You know, why talk about these guys? Because... You know, demons want us to be fooled into thinking that a form of godliness is close enough, right? That, that's really what the demons want. They, they want us to think that if we just have an idea of godliness, then that's enough. We can leave it from there. But, you know, as Christians with this spiritual battle going on, resisting the devil is really pretty different than just ignoring him and hoping that he'll go away, Right? <laughs> And being able to resist him is, you know, it's founded in us not settling for a form of godliness, but going all the way and being obedient to every word that God says. Uh, Let's read in James 4, and we'll begin to close out here. James 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It takes an active faith to win spiritual battles. As far as I know, this active faith is the only kind of faith. If it's a faith that isn't accompanied by action, then it is certainly dead, and it's not the faith that we need to be a saving faith. Uh, The faith that we need is one that starts with knowledge, continues with agreement, leads to a trust in these agreements, and leads us to commit to that life. So how do we deal with our demons? How do we really defeat them? We submit ourselves to God and we fight back, trusting that ultimately the battle has already been won at the cross. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, close out with James 2. Uh, We'll read verse 19. Can't have a a sermon about demons and not mention James 2. It says, you believe that there's one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. Uh, there's a lot that we can do to make it look like we've got everything together. Uh, we can worship on Sunday morning, sing songs, pray, serve, fellowship. But if we don't have faith behind all of these things, then we, we, we're, we have a form of godliness, but we're denying its power. You know, if our belief is like that, then our belief is the belief that the demons have, which is certainly not a saving belief. We have a knowledge that God is God, but we don't let it affect our lives. 
Let's not have a faith that's like the demon's faith. Let's have a faith that will move us towards a lifestyle of absolute desperation for God, a faith that leads us to trust Him more and commit to Him daily, and a faith that will help us resist the devil and fight our own demons. Amen.